This is Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast with your hosts, Brandon Spinner and Michael Burns. And welcome into Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast. I am Brandon Spinner, one of your hosts, alongside one of my best buddies, Michael Burns. Mikey, happy birthday, buddy. Hey, thank you. Thank you. That's... Yeah, so 1991, so that makes you how old? Old enough. Old enough, old to enough. To party. Uh, I was going to call you 23, but it's actually the reverse, right? 32? That's right. I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize it earlier, but and then I was like, oh, yeah, he looks like he's 23, so he just twists around and he's 32. I get that. I get that. I got that yeah. baby face, but hey, when I'm older, I'll, you know, you know, I'll look young still. Are you gonna, young Michael Jackson. Exactly. Right? When you're in your 40, <laughs> young Michael Jackson. <laughs> uh, but is that your middle name, Michael Jackson Burns? Uh, no, I, actually, I'm, I live in the South, you know, in Alabama, and wasn't born in the South, but my middle name mm-hmm. of Dale there fits in real good with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Praise Dale. Uh, Michael Dale. That's you know, right. Sounds like, it sounds like a race car driver, doesn't it? Uh, Michael Dale, yeah, it certainly does. Or some sort of. I don't know, like famous person, but you're just Michael and I'm just Thanks. Brandon. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are a bourbon and baseball podcast, so we are going to be talking about all of that. Uh, we've got some cool stuff baseball wise today to break down, but also a nice bottle of bourbon that we'll dive into here in a second. Before we get any further, we want to ask you if you're watching here on YouTube, hit the subscribe button right there at the bottom and you can find us on YouTube. Just search Barrels and Barrels Pod. And you can also find us with that same handle on Instagram. We just hit 700 followers. We love each and every one of you. You guys are great to react with and just like chat with. We've got a bunch of comments and messages here in the last couple of weeks, Mike. Yeah feedback or just love or just all the above feedback love and just like interaction and it's been cool this bourbon community is awesome that's predominantly who's out there on instagram who follows us right now uh but if you're a bourbon or a baseball fan and you want to follow us head on over it's not even baseball season it's not even baseball season we, we barely have baseball to talk about so wait till baseball gets rolling around it's gonna be fun Let's go. We did have a pretty good couple of off-season weeks earlier in the off-season with all the free agency. But uh, also, you're going to be able to review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So if you could please do that, just find our page, scroll down, and find the f- find the five stars, and we will uh, hopefully give you a shout out if you do put your name on it and give us a review. So big thank you to the three of you who already have given us those reviews. We do have eleven five-star ratings on do we? Apple Podcasts. So yeah, what what. We are Bourbon in a Baseball podcast. We're starting with Bourbon first this week. Mikey, I am a sucker for Bottle and Bonds, and I saw this earlier in the year. We're going to go with the Ben Holiday Bottle and Bond Missouri Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Have you seen much about this at all? I Really, when you sent me the picture, hey, I picked this one up, I was like, woman. (laughs) I mean, I guess I I get it. It's a bib, so I guess I know why you picked it up. And then all of a sudden, I saw a couple other people cracking them and popping them. So I, I feel like it's something that's must be good that is getting around all of a sudden. Yeah, so this is their third release. Uh, they did one in the spring of last year, the fall, and then uh, another one from the fall. I think they did May, July, and September for the releases. This is their third bottle and bond. Uh, this is a company out of uh, Missouri, as it's 
deemed a Missouri straight bourbon whiskey, which was actually gone into law in 2019. Um, and it's distilled out of Holiday Distillery in Weston, Missouri. So that is uh, towards the Missouri River. Um, there's some limestone uh, springs on the property. So that's similar to the Kentucky and Tennessee areas where you get the limestone water, which uh, is what they say is the best for um, making whiskey. So yeah. I think the bottle looks similar to Heaven Hill Bottle and Bond in a way. It's got a wagon instead of uh, the house, but it's got that same antique kind of look to it with the blue. There's a red Ben Holiday right across the top, but um, to me, I get like Heaven Hill Bottle and Bond vibes out of it. Yeah, I think the, the bottle and bond real big at the bottom, and then the name, that's what stands out, is the name and the bottle and bond right. separate like that. Yeah, I get—I can see that. So this is um, six years, which is very interesting when it comes to a bottle and bond. It doesn't have to be six years. It has to be four years, right? And a lot right. of them just put them out after four years. What's different is this is their like first product, and it's coming out at six years, you would think that a distillery that's just putting their stuff out would like to get it out as quick as possible to and be not young. only make the money, um, but to get it out as quick as possible because then they're making money a little earlier rather than just um, waiting the next two years. But uh, I guess back in the day when, because there's a long history to this holiday distillery that I'll dive into here in a second. Uh, but back in the day, I guess they said six years was about the best time for that area of the country for aging so um that's pretty neat so when it comes in it checks in at uh six years as i mentioned this is the spring of 2016 distillate which was bottled on september 14th of 2022 so that is going to be about six and a half years technically um in new chart oak barrels as always so there are seven floors on their warehouses they've got two of them um that they pull from but this all came from warehouse C, 72% of it from the first floor and 28% of it from the fifth floor. And I was doing some reading about this earlier uh, and the master distiller uh, was saying that they do that with this batch to see how much variability there could be from the first floor, which is kind of cool. So they're right. pulling from different floors for all of their bibs uh, so far. Well, that's what Maker's Mark did with their 2022 fall release, the two different floors. and. Mm -hmm. Uh, we did. The re we reviewed the the high floor, right? BRT two was the high floor. Bottom floor, bottom, bottom floor, floor is BRT and two. B yeah, BRT one was floor. the high, the higher. And I'll tell you, I I only have I've only had one sip of the one, of the BRT one, and I think there's a difference. Big difference, or? Yeah, I think I enjoy one yeah. more than I do the other. Oh really? Oh, you one more than you do the other? I thought you were saying what? one over two uh i guess that's a tease for a later pod down the road right. um as far as this ben holiday bottle and bonnet six years as i mentioned mashville comes in at 75 percent corn 15 percent rye and 12 percent malted barley it's 100 proof as always as it comes to a bottled in bond bourbon or whiskey uh, and it's got the seal right there on the top uh, again red white and blue just uh navy blue kind of almost a blackish a little American-ish. Um, it's got a little bit too of American hit to it. It's uh, DSP MO5, um, but I believe it was the first distillery um, in Missouri. So that's pretty cool. Have you been able to pour it and nose it yet? I haven't. Or I was have reading you... about the mash bill. You said it was 
So can you read that mash bill one more time? That's 75, 15, and 12. Okay. Yeah, so what I'm reading is that's the same mash bill that was developed in 1856 by Ben Holiday himself. Yes, so they went with the same mash bill um, when they started to distill again. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of history to this um, entire uh, distillery itself. It was founded by Mr. Ben Holiday, who was actually kind of not just a whiskey guy. He was like a jack-of-all-trades. Um, said when he started it, he also, and that's part of the bottle, I don't know if you see the stagecoach or the like Oregon Trail type of uh, oh, yeah. did you ever play? Did you ever play Oregon Trail? All the time. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, but they called him the Stagecoach King. Uh, he created Overland Express Stagecoach, and they were ultimately who sold to Wells Fargo. So the Wells Fargo wagon comes from Ben Holiday. Interesting. Little known fact. But, Everybody uh, knows Wells Fargo. Yeah, he owned part of the... Po- What's that? Everybody knows Wells Fargo. Yeah, and uh, he owned part of the Pony Express for the brief history that there was that. So he's also got a ton of other stuff. But it's funny that he's going to go down. His legacy is more likely going to be going down whiskey-wise. So he did pass it down through the family. um, And then uh, another distillery took over. Blue Springs Distillery is what they had named it um, during their first batch. Uh, And it get this, their first batch they distilled in 1856. The first juice that they sold was aged for one year, and it went for thirty-five cents per gallon. Per gallon, <laughs> a gallon. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this is on the same land that um, Lewis and Clark uh, explored back in the early eighteen hundreds, uh, and that's how they knew that the limestone springs were in this area, which is very cool. Uh, as I mentioned, they Historic. started this distillery in about eighteen forty-nine when they bought the land they didn't distill until 1856 and then they sold their first batch in 1857 of course now uh, it went right through the family and then it was bought by uh, a couple of different people it was sold to george shawhan uh, back in the early 1900s um, his distillery had burned down then of course prohibition uh, and then mccormick distilling bought it um, after um, they purchased it from him back in 1942 and they've kind of really been who was at the forefront of all this. Um, there were some fires. There was all of this. And then they stopped putting bourbon out in 1985. They were like, yep, no more. Uh, and they went more towards the uh, the non-age spirits and uh, just okay. different, different stuff like that. And then in 2015, they got a $10 million renovation. And they started distilling again. So 2015 was the, the relaunch of all of this. And now the we're really starting craze. to see the juice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the bourbon craze. So uh, after 30 years, they came back with their juice. And in 2019, they were part of the whole Missouri Bourbon, um, Straight Bourbon Act there. So that was House Bill 266. 2019, that Missouri Act came in play? Yeah, 2019. So beginning on January 1st, they um, it was corn exclusively grown in the state. That's cool. So, yeah. Rather than having it, you know, uh, MGP'd for you. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure. Uh, so it is a twist top. You poured yours. Have you gave it a, a nose at all? What do you, what are your thoughts it's on the nose right away? Sweet. Um, it immediately comes to mind of, um, and it's a bib, hundred proof. I was just about to ask the proof on it. It's, it smells, yeah. it smells like a 94 proof or, you know, 
Um, I admit, it's admittedly sweeter. I don't get any kind of high rye, which it's not. It is. No, it's, I think it's lower rye. Like you said, 15. Mm -hmm. um, it smells good. I get cherry. A dark, it's a dark fruit. So to me, when I smell a dark fruit, it's a sign of a, of a good bourbon to me. If I get that dark fruit smell. But of a good typical bourbon. How about you, Brandon? You getting anything on that nose? Uh, I'm opening my picks app because I did put uh, a review out of this last night. Um, right off the nose, the first thing I wrote down here in my tasting book was starts out sweet and simple. It's got that corny like oak hint yep. to it right up front uh, to me. Um, and in my picks app, which is pretty cool. Uh, we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. They're not a sponsor. But I do think that if you're a bourbon fan or a whiskey fan, any kind of spirit, actually, they've got a bunch of it. You can fill out your score with your tasting notes, what you thought, uh, and then it'll match you with cool different pairings that you might like. Uh, it'll send you like notifications. Hey, you matched with this bourbon. You matched with this bourbon. And you matched with this whiskey. So that's where I have my notes. My notes are butterscotch, caramel, cinnamon, cloves, and coconut on the aroma. I got the coconut the longer I sniffed it. Um, it doesn't smell hot by any means. Uh, I think that on the nose, it's very simple. Um, it's that classic bourbon. Uh, it's got a little bit of a different, it, it doesn't smell like Kentucky bourbon for sure. There's a little bit of a, almost a funk to it. Not necessarily a funk, but and that's I mean, where I think the coconut is Missouri. For me. It is Missouri. Yeah, Missouri. I saw you take a swig. What's your thoughts tasting-wise? Um, the first sip, I haven't taken that sip. I did the first sip to coat my mouth, and it was spicier than I anticipated on the mouth. Um, that was the first sip, though, to get my palate acclimated. Um, how about you over there? Getting acclimated over there, doing a little chew? Yeah, I did the chew. And like I said, I had this last night, so I've got some more in-depth notes in on this uh, that I don't want to really ruin your palate or your your mindset thoughts. yet yeah i don't want to bury that coke that acorn in your brain right yeah it's definitely spicier than it smells um yeah it's kind of hiding a little bit of the flavor for me i still get that dark fruit taste it's the vis viscosity i wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's caramely in the mouth i know and, and that's what helps with the picks app is if you don't kind of know what to look for it has yeah. all the different things laid out for you, and that kind of helps if you're trying to decide and mm -hmm. something pops out at you. That helps. Um, it's not thick on the mouth. It's not. It's you know, it's hard to say. It's buttery. It's more oily than buttery, or or uh, it's not thick in the mouth. I get a little syrup to it, but it's not. No, it's, it's not. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, it's not bad. I think that it's, like you said, what hit me here in the book I have written down has a very peppery hit quick uh, yep. on the back half of it. Um, it's like sweet. It's almost similar to what we had a couple of weeks ago where you said it took a hard right turn halfway through, right? Like you go one direction, it's got Ooh. that sweetness, and then it gets very more it, – it, has more of a rye pepper to it on the back end than I would it's have It's drying out. Yeah, it's drying out on the back end there as I haven't taken a sip and just breathing a little bit. But you know, as you compare the bottle look to Heaven Hill Bib, this is the same type of profile that we got, at least I got from Heaven Hill Bib. I thought it was a little spicy up front. 
And that one was seven years. And that one was seven which years. Which is not the normal four either. Um, I think this has more of a sharp feel to it. Man. Um, it's changing as I'm not more, taking a sip. To me, it, it's a little more on the heat, and there's a lot more sharpness to the burn than I would have anticipated. And it's on the back end. It kind of feels like it creeps towards the back. Um, it's light and oak to me. Um, I got butterscotch, caramel, and then some coconut and leather. Those were my real tastings on the on the mouthfeel, uh, becoming more of like a black peppery rye towards the end. Um, my mouthfeel, I said crisp. It's not, it's not thin. It's not oily. It's in between, and it's. I think it's like a crisp, crisp feel. It yeah, it tastes. It almost tastes like muddy towards the end. It's dry at the yes. end, rather dry than dry walnut. Stain, yeah, buttery in your mouth. You don't feel. I don't feel it like on the roof of my mouth or the cheeks. It's stain on the tongue as as the aftertaste. Yeah. So on our. Barrels and Barrels of Bourbon and Baseball podcast rating scale, which, Michael, do you want to break that down for our lovely friends and viewers? So at the top there, you've got Hall of Fame, the best of the best, cream of the crop. We have not had any Hall of Fame yet. Next level down, we've got All-Star. We've got those guys that stand out from your everyday players, guys that uh, make the All-Star team every year. They're not quite Hall of Famers, but, hey, they're fan favorites. And then next step down, we've got an everyday player. Everyday player you're got, is going to be a guy that you not necessarily going to drink daily, uh, but a guy that you are constantly going back to, and that bottle is going to be crushed before you know it. After everyday player, we've got a bench player, something that you know you like it, but you're not going to go to it too often. It's nice, maybe a different flavor profile than something you typically have. Maybe, maybe it's a dessert bourbon. Um, so nothing a knock on that, but you, it's more of a, a time and place kind of bourbon. And lastly, after bench player, we've got uh, DFA or designated for assignment, which uh, we don't want on our bourbon shelves. Something that we would not choose to pick up again if we didn't have to. So Brandon, where does this one fit on your scale? Um, this is a lot harsher, and I feel like the 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 taste to me and the the sweetness up front fades a lot quicker towards more of a burn, a rye pepper burn on the back end. So uh, I like it. I don't love it. Um, I want to love it. It It's one that I look at and I'm like, yeah, I, I really want to like this. And the smell, like the first half of it to me is the best. And then once you get it past uh, the front half of your tongue, it starts to go away for me. Uh, I'm going with a bench on this one. Uh, not because I don't think it's bad. I, I'm excited to see what they start to put out here over the next couple of years. This is their third batch that they've produced and uh, put out. So uh, I like what they're doing. I, the first time I heard about them, like big time, was on Dad's Drinking Bourbons podcast, um, which was their episode 401, if you want to check that out. They had the master distiller on, and it was really cool to listen to him and talk about everything regarding the distillery, what his thoughts were. And I do think that the juice is good. Uh, I think that there probably will be better blending um, between floors. Again, this was 75% or about 75% from one floor and then 28% from the other floor. Um, I, I'm excited for this, but I'm going with a bench. Yeah, I think for the history and um, 
what they think they're do, trying to do there. Um, I think that I'm excited for for the distillery, um, but I don't know that if I found this on a on a shelf somewhere that I'd pick it up. Um, so I'm looking forward with what they're going to put out, but I got to DFA it. You're going to DFA it. it? Yeah, I think it's too dry, too nutty on the back end for me. Um, that if I, I take a sip and try to sit here, I don't enjoy that that walnut flavor after it. And then and then up front has that fruit, but um, it's it's too spicy up front for me to enjoy that flavor. Well, there it is, another DFA from the Axeman, Michael Burns. Uh, that's two for you, and I haven't had one yet, but I've had two All Stars, so uh, it'll all or three All Stars, um, so it'll. All I don't hate there. it. I don't. I don't hate it, but I don't know that I would go back to it. Uh, I probably won't buy it all the time. I see it. Um, I was excited to buy this one. It's fifty nine ninety nine MSRP. Uh, I'm excited to see what Ben Holiday puts out. I do think that it's a little spicy on the back end, um, but I would I, if they would be able to even that out to where you could get less of a bite towards the back end. I think that this would be a really good pour, uh, and I wonder what even younger juice might taste like. I know they were putting out six years just because that's the way they do it, six and a half years. Um, so uh, I bought it in northeastern Illinois you know, in the Chicago suburbs. Oh, yeah. um, I think I got it for sixty three ninety nine. I'm I'm not upset about it. So no, absolutely. It'll be You're up there, but I'm not going to go to it every day, and that's why it's going to be a bench for me. There you go. So, oh, well, another thing I wanted to toss in it does it is in level three char, uh, char barrels. So, um, higher toasted another, than regular. Yeah, a little bit higher. So, uh, that's that regarding Ben Holiday's Bottle and Bond Missouri Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Um, Six years. This was the fall release, September 2022. Uh, September 14th of 2022 is when this was bottled. Uh, and I think it dropped a little bit later on in the year from there. So now switching over to baseball, uh, Andrew McCutcheon has just re-signed with the Pirates. Um, that was uh, really cool to see. So that is where this week's trivia question lies, Michael. So with McCutcheon back for another year, he has the potential to reach 2,000 hits, 300 homers, 400 doubles, and 1,000 walks in his career later on this season. There's that potential. There are two other active players who have already passed all of those thresholds. Who are they? Uh, you're going to have to give me those stats again, though. Say them one more time. 2,000 hits, 300 home runs, 400 doubles, and 1,000 walks. Uh, I'm going to go at least one of those is Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, that is correct. Very. And that was the the first time I, I saw this. I guess Miggy right off the bat. Uh, and the second one shocked me in a good way. But, like, it it shocked me. Like, I didn't expect to see this name. So, that makes me think that my second guess is wrong. Because I think it's Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz would be a good guess. Because <laughs> he's still active, uh, but it is Joey Votto. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's he's another uh, old veteran, so right. But like to me, I didn't. The three hundred home runs is my question on Joey, because uh, I know he hasn't had power every year. That would be the question I would have had on him. Nelson Cruz is a good, good guess. I just don't know if he's got two thousand hits. Uh, he was a late bloomer a little bit. He was with Texas. Um, and yeah, the Royals, Texas, he's been all over the place. 
uh, in the last several years. Seattle, uh, he was at Texas twice, I think. Because um, he was there with Josh Hamilton, and then he went back. And then I think he's he was wrong with Josh team. Hamilton. He was the young and then yeah, and then Marlon. Yeah, he was there uh, with Marlon Bird too. <laughs> I got an autograph from Josh Hamilton and Nelson Cruz on the same ticket back in like 2009, I think. And he's still playing in 2023. Uh, so it's Miguel Cabrera and Joey Votto. So this week's okay. episode, we're not really going to talk about day-to-day baseball stuff, but there are a lot of changes this upcoming season regarding the MLB. And I think it's going to be a big, big change. Probably the most drastic change we've ever had in the offseason, non-COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. A non-COVID season. Because, um, of course, 2020, there were the bigger changes with the DH coming. And then that was the uh, the innings, um, uh, the extra inning games were runners on second base. It's true. Um, that all yeah. started in 2020 because of COVID. And then seven inning double headers that year, which has gone away. These, there are theoretically four rules but within three umbrellas if you call it like there are three rules with a fourth one that fits as a drastic one that sticks out but it's like a sub rule uh the first one i think everybody's going to notice this year it's been talked about for a while the pitch clock first thought first blush of a pitch clock what are your thoughts without knowing what they are the rules and all of that like when you heard there's going to be a pitch clock instant thought so there's three three things we're going to talk about. Is the veterans. The veterans are going to hate it. They have played the game their way for the last 15 years. They have their routines. They're going to hate it. But the guys who have been coming up through the system, they don't care. That's how, that's how they've been through it. Um, if you go to a minor league game, you see the pitcher who's going to warm up that inning. He's the first one on the field because he gets either eight pitches or the time in between innings of two minutes. So you see that pitcher sprints out there before the other teams even off the field. So I don't think it's going to be a big deal going forward. I think the veterans who are 35 plus years old are going to hate it and struggle with it. Um, but the young guys, they don't care. They come in and they get up there and they pitch. Um, I'm looking for your opinion. Like, what what are your thoughts? Like, when this was rumored a couple of years ago, what were your first like? We don't need a pitch clock, or I was like, I think this will be good. Yeah, uh, at first, I'm you know, don't mess with baseball. Don't you know, baseball is right. not a time sport. There's not 15 minutes in a quarter. There's not 15 minutes in an inning. Just let the game play. Um, at, at all the different players' antics. No more Garcia Parra. You know, getting in the batter's box and mm-hmm. fixing his gloves in between. You know, at bats. That's what made Nomar. He was one of yeah. my favorites. That's what made baseball, you know, and then, you know, a pitcher coming up and slamming the rosin bag and taking his time. That's that's gone. There's no more of that. There, you got no time for that. There's no time for like big pressure moments where you can reach loop yourself and kind of step off and wipe the sweat for a minute, stare the pitcher down the batter down. There's no more of that. Um, there, there still will be. I just don't think that there will be as much, if that makes sense. Right. But also, I mean, are you going to be okay with, say, it's a playoff game and um, he takes, you know, the rules, what, 18 seconds? Uh, so you have, so that's it. 15 second pitch timer when the bases are empty, a 20 second pitch timer when there's a runner on, and then 30 second timer between batters, which has already been in place in the minors. Um, but. In the major leagues, it's actually been 30 seconds between batters as well. It just doesn't get enforced. 
Um, but they will be enforcing this. They tested this in 2022. So there's a pitch clock where if the pitcher violates it, it's an automatic ball. And if the batter violates it, there's an automatic strike. And that violation is the pitcher must start his motion before the 15 seconds or the 20 seconds is up. He doesn't have to pitch the ball within those 20 seconds, but his motion has to start. So think about those long, long routine bullpen guys who like come in and like have to shimmy as they get it. They've got to speed that up. I saw a video of, I think it was Blake Parker uh, in the drastic, because he did this in 2019 in the minors, but he's in the majors. He's like the longest, one of the longest in between pitches. You're going to see a lot of guys develop a new uh, rota- uh, routine, like Mike Clevenger, the steps mm-hmm. back and forth before he pitches, where he takes like eight steps and then yeah. delivers the baseball. <laughs> Maybe you see a lot more of those where the guys can just kind of w- wiggle back and forth, and that's their yeah. motion. Yeah. So they te- they've tested this in the minors in 2022. You went to a couple minor league games last year. Did you notice it when you were at the game? Like, Did you notice, or did you just feel like you were at a normal ball game? No, I normal ball game. I no one ever was called a ball. No one ever called a strike. Um, I think that's going to happen a lot. But I didn't. I didn't notice anything. Yeah. So my initial thought was the same thing. I played baseball. You don't need to put a timer on it. But the more I look at it, the younger fans are not there. And the biggest reasoning a lot of people always say is it's so slow. Yep. There's not a whole lot of action. This is going to increase the action not only because. Uh, more pitches per minute, right? You theoretically could have three, you should have three pitches per minute on average, um, if not more when there's nobody on base. But the pitchers don't have as much recovery time. So maybe the mistakes jump up a little more. So there's a little more action on that regard too, right? Like, because the pitcher isn't as sharp, is not as rested, uh, may feel a little rushed, make a mistake, more likely to have a mistake from a pitcher. So I think that's a, secondary um, results from this. More of it is just because we want action a little quicker. Right. Uh, but I think the quicker the pitchers work, right? Like it takes a little more energy, a little more stamina. That's why you go out for a bullpen, uh, not a bullpen, um, a mound visit, right? To give maybe the starter a little chance to breathe or the, the pitcher, not necessarily a scouting report. He's just working his ass out on the mound in a rough inning where he just can't get out. Just give him a breather, Right. Uh, maybe not able to do that as often. Right, right. Because now, that, like you said, there's mound visit limits. There's timeout. You, I think batters get a timeout, but I don't think pitchers get a timeout from what I read. So pitchers pitchers get two um, disengagement allowed ah. per um, per plate appearance. And it's part of that like sub-rule that I said it's one of the four rules, but – it's technically shoved into the pitch clock rule, and that's a pickoff limit, which is going to make things even crazier. Each pitcher has two disengagements allowed, so that's a step-off or a pickoff, but that counts whether or not it's a step-off or a pickoff. So that's your break. So if you disengage, that's one. If you disengage again, that's two. Now, on the third attempt, if it's unsuccessful to pick off the runner – that runner is automatically awarded the next base. That so I think will cause a lot of interesting because you know even if you're if you're a pitcher and you're in the in the stretch and you just want you can't step off anymore but you need to go back through the signs. You just gotta stare the guy down and you got a pitch clock. 
Right. So you can't, you got to, I mean, you got to be quick about deciding your signs. And if you can't read it, you're going to be giving the guy second base, third base, home base, you know, home plate. Yep. Um, and that is, I think, going to create for more stolen bases as well. Because think about a runner. He knows that you're not coming over on the third time. Or if you are, he's got to be pristine and perfect. So you might be able to cheat that extra step um, to get that stolen base. Or at least take the extra base, right? You get a better secondary, most likely. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see not only stolen bases-wise, but just to see, I'm assuming the most faults are going to be in the first couple of weeks of the year um, of the season, right? Because that's when it's still getting used to it. I don't think many people complain about the mound visits um, like they used to, right? Yeah, like that's true. It was, it was an issue at first uh, for the first couple of weeks of the season, but that has gone through. Every change that they've put in has pretty much just flown away, right? Even replay, that is one thing that has slowed the game down a little bit is replay. Replay uh, needs to be, yeah, sped. I mean, he's, he's out of his Right, like there's a time limit of like two minutes. If you don't have a clear answer, it stays on whatever was on the field. Two minutes. That's, that's a, that's two batters right there. Right. The time. Uh, but some of them go, seem to go on for five, six, seven minutes. It's, yeah, it's so, ridiculous. So part of that is if the batter violates, uh, and he's not in the box in, in engaged with the box at eight seconds left, I believe. Um, so if he's still engaging as in he's digging in, with both feet, right. you know, adjusting. And that pitch clock's coming. He can't mm-hmm. be holding his hand up like, hold nope. on, Blue, hold on. There is not. He's got to be, he's got, be ready to go in eight seconds. With eight seconds left? No, or at eight seconds. He's got eight seconds to get in the box or it's an automatic strike. Gotcha. Because they have to have be... new batting gloves, you know, ones that just, you know, <laughs> just stretch on. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys who draw in the dirt are going to have to draw extra deep, you know? Yeah. Well, Harper is like tap each corner, tap his shin, put the bat on the ground, and then point at the the pitcher. At that point, I think you just start your windup and force Harper to change his way too, right? Well, good thing Harper's out for the first five months. Yeah. But those other batters who go through those routines, like I had a routine when I got in the box. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, it was always tap the top, top front corner, top uh, left corner, wag the bat two or three times, and then pull it up. Sammy Sosa? No, not the Sammy Sosa one. Oh, okay. So, I, because like, he did, did he the, did the tap like that, and then one, two, you know, three. I it may be self conscious, like subconsciously, Sammy, with the uh, arms up, crotched look. Uh, Boy, brings back the good old days. Uh, so those are two. Well, that's one rule uh, of the the three, but it's got that like sub rule to it. the The other one coming in is a big one as well. It's the banning of shifts or lift, limiting shifts. You can still shift, but uh, there are some rules and regulations regarding that. So all four infielders must be within the outer boundary of the infield, meaning they have to have their feet in the dirt. Right. And infielders may not switch sides, so you can't take your third baseman and put them on second and then flip them back, even if you're flip-flopping them. Like they used to put Javi... Remember when Listella was at second and Javi played short? They would put Listella at short and put Javi at second if they expected the ball to be hit towards the second base side. 
you can't do that anymore within it you got two on each side you got two guys uh, on each side it, you may not be able to switch sides so like rizzo could be technically the second baseman you know how they used to have to make him change his glove when he would come yeah in? he can still do that because he's not changing sides but you can't take your shortstop and put him at second base I think that's a timing thing. I think what they're, that's how they're trying to sneak that in because it takes too much time to switch sides. I don't know. But, yeah, infielders I, I may excited. not switch side. And then, is... so you were, you're excited about say, this? I was going to say, I, I think this is my favorite rule change of, of the three um, because some, especially the lefty batters, you know, that have yeah. three guys, two right, basically two right fielders. And they're smoking right. a ball right to the short right fielder, the rover. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it's really going to help a lot of those players get some extra hits. And it's going to increase action too, right? That's why you go to the ball game is to see action. There's going to be more hits. There's more balls in play. There's better scoring opportunities. That's what makes a game exciting, right? Every once in a while, there's an amazing catch, right? Or you have a pitcher's duel. But most people... What did they say back in the 90s? Chicks dig the long ball? That Greg Maddox yeah. commercial with Tom <laughs> Right. Um, exactly what I was thinking. So, so it's, it's, it's going to create more pressure too, right? Because it's likely going to lead to more men on base. Or like most of these guys are going to get probably 10 to 11, maybe 12 extra hits a year. Um, so Joey Vada will have 70 hits in his 500 at-bats? I don't know. I think he's only averaged 200 when he has a full season. But uh, did you say it's... Joey Votto? Oh, I'm sorry. Not Joey Votto. Uh, Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo. Wow. It's like, uh, Joey Votto, are you pooping on Joey Votto? He's going to be a Hall of Famer, bro. No, sorry. Joey Gallo. <laughs> you know, he had Aaron Judge has had, what, more home runs than he did hits all last year? Yeah, I think he had 51 hits last year oh, or Shoot. thereabouts. I uh, bet he is so excited. Uh so this is going to help, I think, a disproportionate amount of people. I was looking at a couple of players um, that will probably benefit the most. It looks like Kyle Schwarber is at the top of the list. Um, Corey Seager. Um, even um, Carlos Santana, who has shifted the most out of any batter, I believe, in the league. Um, he would have a potentially – there was a statistic done that said it probably would be 12 hits gained. And I think that may have been why general manager Ben Charrington for the Pirates jumped out after him. He said uh, that there's – with a change in the shifts, you'd expect positive regression. Um, other players, uh, Tyrone Taylor from the Brewers. There was a funny one. Um, it's Carson Kelly. And then the other one was Salvador Perez because they shifted him in the opposite way. They would on put the right people side. On, the, on, on the left side of the infield at third, short, and up the middle and take it away. But uh, he was one of the heaviest shifted, right, 76% of the right time. Hand. Salvador yeah. was? Mm. The righty. Okay. So around nine potential extra hits. So I think what that does is it puts more men on base. More men on base leads to the pitchers in the stretch more, which generally leads to more mistakes down the road, right? Um with that pressure. So I, like you said, I think it's my favorite and most exciting one of the three um, because I think it leads to more action and more excitement. Yeah. I think it, it makes what I've read. A lot of managers were telling their second baseman shortstops, Hey, make sure your lower body, you're really focusing on it. 
for that for those you know jump movements for left and right um so you got more ground to cover and i think even carlos correa came out and said i'm excited for this rule because i get to show off my athletic ability more athleticism yeah um we have all these athletes, but they don't have to run as far because they're not covering as much ground, right? Because you're taking away half of the field. Um, so that, that'll that be interesting. Like players like Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rizzo, Jordan Alvarez, or Max Kepler, the statistics there said that they wouldn't gain much because of where their ball placement was on their like uh, ground balls and it just didn't work, but who knows? It's, it's a all, mind game. It's a mind game. Oh, a little that bit. too, for sure. Like you get defeated after a while, one or two of them. And you're like, Oh, come on. I can't buy a hit. You smoke uh, the ball and the second baseman's standing in short, right. And it hits him in the chest. Like that's a base right. hit. If he's standing, no one else is shifted over there. Yeah. So I think this is going to lead to far more drastic, um, change, uh, regarding action in the field as well. A side note, I think that stolen bases still could be impacted with this because players may be cheating on like a they can't shift, but they can shift. And you can still put the shortstop almost behind second base. Right. You can still put that second baseman closer to first base in that regard. So the covering of stolen bases still could be wonky, right? Because you still bring the third baseman as far out and that could lead to some extra base running. So uh, there's going to be some implementation to this that I think that teams will still try to play with, right? Like, can it be your toes are on the dirt and your heels are in the outfield? Um, how close is too close? There is like um, uh, a reaction, right? So uh, a, re- a consequence to this. If you don't comply and if you're not aligned properly, it's either an automatic ball or the team can take the result of the play so they have a choice so is there a chance so so can you come out and say say you got you know out and you come out and say i want to review that they weren't shifted correctly oh i didn't know i don't know i wonder if that's that's reviewable uh yeah that'll be i I bet it's not i bet it's not just because it's based that's how they would do it probably it sounds right you know i wonder if it won't be reviewable but they'll have a separate like ump in the box or the booth watching for that, that chimes into the umpire on the manager, the crew chief on the field. Uh, if they'll chime in and be like, Hey, that's a ball shift was executed or something like that. So I can already see the Amazon graphics like on opening day, you know, here's the guys in the gray areas where they have to be, you know, I yeah. see it. I wonder if they'll put like markings be like, you cannot be in between like you can't be on this side of this line. Like just a little marking on the back so they know. Chalk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like just a little chalk line. Would you be mad with that room, the look of the baseball field though, if there was a white chalk line behind second oh, base? Well, it wouldn't have to be big. It would just be like six inches right at the dirt at the dirt line. Uh it would look a little like a just like a pin like, prick. Like that. I wouldn't put no, I wouldn't even put that. It'd be the size of your mic, if not smaller. Just like eight just, Comparing mic sizes over here, Michael. <laughs> Moving Your on. Bigger than my mic. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so the third rule. Um, I don't think this one creates as much. This is more of a player safety rule. It does have some on the field implements and uh, consequences, but bigger bases. 
So bases will now be 18 by 18 inches instead of 15 by 15 inches. Um, so that's an extra three inches uh, each direction, and that's towards the field and towards home plate. So 90 feet is measured from home plate to the back of the first base. So that distance hasn't changed. It's just that extra three inches has been added. That means there's a four and a half inch reduction between mm -hmm. first and second, as well as second and third. So theoretically, that base path is shorter. This is going to create chaos. You think so? I think so. I think this is really going to lead to more stolen base attempts. Um, think about those bang, bang plays. They're not bang, bang anymore because he's With there. review and that slow motion camera. I mean, that's right. I mean, I saw the statistic where... In 2022, there was like uh, only 2,000 something stolen bases. Where 10 years ago in 2012, there was 3,000. There was a thousand less stolen bases now than there was 10 years ago. And I mean, are pitchers faster? Are pitchers, you know, the average fastball is faster. Guys, are they slower? They can't be slower. Everything's faster now. Athletes are, are better athletes these days with the more better training and such. Um, so, so why last is there year. The, Reduction in stolen bases. Yeah, uh, it's because of money ball, right? Like, let's not make outs on the base paths. But also, True. there's better better catchers. There's better pitchers. They're faster. This four inch, think about like four and a half inches. That's a half second of a slide, maybe a little less than that. But like, instead of the bang, bang, your hand's already there. So that's going to help a stolen... Maybe that guy who gets thrown out a little more than normal, he's going to be safe now. So Schwarber's going to lead the be... league in stolen bases next year? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Last year, it was the last year it was the fifth least amount of stolen bases in the 2000s, um, but really it's the fourth because you got to throw the COVID year out because uh, that was a shortened season. Oh, but yeah. it only falls behind 2021, 2019, and 2018. So over that time span, right? Like the top eight are all 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. So over the last eight years where the shift has been a big issue, where uh, all of that has become a little higher on that velocities ticked up. And again, I think this pitch clock is going to have pitchers not paying as much attention to the runner as well, right? Because they're more focused. They have to be. You got to get your pitch, make sure it's right. Especially with the guy in second base. Right. So you're going to see a couple more of those forgot about him on, on first base. And he got a quick steal. Um, so the bases, I think there's a slight uptick in stolen bases. I think the pickoff thing with the bigger bases combined creates a bigger stolen base issue. We haven't had many stolen bases last year. Um, the Marlins birdie. Led, uh, led the league at 41 stolen bases. The last time that there was 60 was D. Gordon back in 2017. So, like, nobody's stealing bases anymore. And I think that this gives those speed guys maybe even an extra little uh, value on that 26-man roster, right, instead of carrying that reliever. Because, well, that's another rule that went into place last year. You're only allowed 13 relievers. So now you're more likely to carry a speed guy, I think, that just does that in field. Right, because you can in the late game you can get a better stolen base opportunity. Yeah, looking up stats, I mean, guys who were like a forty forty season, forty home runs, pulling stolen bases, 
power and speed guys were rare, but you always had guys stealing more than 40 bases. You know, you had Juan Pierre, you know, and last year, one player had 40 stolen bases. Mm -hmm. One. And the AL lead was uh, Mateo for Baltimore at 35. That led the AL. And he only attempted, he only got caught nine times. Well, he, I mean, he was successful, but he only tried with 35 plus nine, 44. So, yeah, attempts have been down. All right, let me see if I can go back 10 years on this statistic thing here. I was looking at it earlier. There, uh, D. Gordon went off for a couple of years just because of his intense speed. Uh, like, that was one of his tools that stood out more than yep. anybody. Uh, but, you also had Tony Womack, I think, led the league back in the day with 60 to 70. Uh, right. So 10 years ago, one, two, three, four, five, six guys had 40 stolen bases and a lot, like, at the brinks, 39, 39, 37, 37. Right. Well, 10 think years of Barry ago. Bonds. Barry Bonds was stealing 40 a year back in the 90s. So Right. So if I go back to 2002, like you said, Luis Castillo, 48. Yeah, 47. Dave Roberts, 45. Yeah. A lot of guys, more guys stole bases. Suzuki, Damon, mm-hmm. Cameron, Abreu, Jeter. Um, I mean, back Kyle. in 2011, Mike Trout was stealing, was it 49? It, it, that's what this, well, he was the leader in 2012 with 48. 2012. 49, uh, 49, 49. 49. Yeah, he, le- he was a rookie that year. So 49 stolen bases led that to dude AL. Hit four, had 49 stolen bases, 30 home runs. And he hit for an average of 326. A rookie? Yep. Rookie? Well, it was 2011 is rookie year. I thought 11, but it might be 12. I think it's 11. 11. Yeah, I, but, I think it's 11. Anyways, yeah. we're done. We're done. So those are the rule changes this year that you need to get used to. I think it's going to create much more action on the baseball path. Like, on the, I think it's going to create much more action on the baseball field. Uh, I think there's going to be more runs, too. And I think that that's what the league wants. I'm excited for it. I don't think that these are as drastic as people intend or, or think they will be. What are your thoughts, like as a whole? Are you I excited? think the, is it? The, eh? I'm excited because these don't change the game necessarily. Like the DH did, like the extra innings rule did. Um, the shift changes it a little bit because hey, if you want to leave third base side open, wide open, it's wide open for you. But there's more. I think this is more traditional. Uh, you know. Uh, playing field this is more traditional i don't think it's going to affect anything so i hope that the pitch clock or anything like where you get automatic ball or it's automatic block i hope that doesn't decide games especially i hope there's a little bit of leniency in big moments you know hey if he's if, you know, I hope umpires aren't like looking at it and once, you know, they have a stopwatch up and it hits 15 seconds or 20 seconds, ball, 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 and they I, let a run score to, to though. decide the game. I think they're going to have to, though, because if they don't execute that rule at that point of the game, they don't have any bearings to do it at the beginning of the game. So, right. They need so, to be I think consistent in... from A to B, there's no loose in the late parts of the game because the late part of the game is just as important as the beginning part of the game, theoretically. They're all the same amount of outs, right? I one out by, counts by, for one out. By October baseball, everybody will have, a, will have a feel for this. I would just hate to see a, 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 a pivotal game decided by pitch clock. 
you know, but it's part of the game. I agree. It's a rule. I don't want to see a game decided by that, but it's part of the games. It's part of the rules, and you have to abide by the rules within the game. Um, I, again, I agree with you. I don't want to see a game decided by that, but if there has to be a call that decides it's going to happen, they have to make the call because then they start to push you. So, uh, it's going to be an interesting couple. The first couple of weeks, I'd say the first four to six weeks for players to get acclimated to this. The younger guys won't quite have as much of an issue because they've played with this the last couple of years in the minors. Um, another one to probably get uh, look forward to at least, maybe potentially next year because I know they're starting it in AAA this year. Is uh, Robo automatic Umps. balls and stripes? automatic balls and strikes those robo umps now is it, so is it automatic or is it you can challenge i've seen where you can I challenge think you can challenge but i only think you can get a couple of challenges a game though well so what when you say robo umps is it the umpire has an earpiece and is being told i, I believe or is so. he I making believe. the call and if he's wrong the player can, or pitcher can challenge we'll see it will see. I I thought it was there's an earpiece in the Empire. That's how they've done it in a couple of those independent minor league games. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how 2023 goes at AAA because I think that's really where the litmus test is uh, for that majors themselves. So that is uh, all I have on the the uh, the new rules, Mike. You have any thoughts or any other things you want to talk about? No, I know spring spring training. I know managers are ready to get out and test these new rules in spring training and mm-hmm. get acclimated so that they're used to it come April. Well, I so. wonder if they'll use those rules in the WBC too, because a lot of those players won't be in spring training; they'll be at the oh, World baseball interesting. Classic. So that's going to change things as well because they won't have as much of a spring training in that spring training setting. It's more so going to be on a national stage, like the Olympics, right? Like. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. A lot of guys, well, four years ago, you know, missed a lot of spring training, but they're playing mm-hmm. at a high level. So I am, I, you know, I don't hate it, but you just, you'd like to see a guy again. Right. Well, that's not what I'm worried about. It's more about how are they going to adjust to the rules because they won't have as much time in spring to get used to it unless the world right. baseball classic adopts those rules. And, uh, I don't know if they did. So that's one thing I'll have to check on. Um, as I look ahead towards the World Baseball Classic here in a couple of weeks since spring training is less than a month away, buddy. Less than a month, baby. Let's go. We are there. We are almost there. Uh, Once again, wish Michael a happy birthday. Uh, His birthday was last week at the time of this episode airing. So Michael is the big 24 years old. So give him a big shout. (laughs) Give him a big shout out. That has been another episode of Barrels and Barrels, the Bourbon and Baseball Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot regarding what the rules are for this upcoming season. We want to know what your thoughts are. Uh, Would love to hear what you think of the rules. Head on over to our Instagram page. We're on Facebook as well that instagram and facebook as well as youtube you can find us barrels and barrels pod uh on all three of those platforms twitter it's at barrels and barrels youtube at barrels and barrels pod we also have an email barrels and barrels at gmail.com where you can email us if you want some stickers we also have t-shirts michael's proudly sporting that on youtube right now show it mike beautiful uh michael you're on instagram as well uh where can we find you to wish you a happy birthday that's a bnb underscore burns if you can't find us on other channels just look for that pretty blue logo 
a pretty blue logo, Barrels and Barrels. Uh, I am at whiskey underscore weather on Instagram. We're both on Twitter as well. Just search our names and you should be able to find us. Uh, we'll have more whiskey rele- reviews coming up. We've got a couple of interviews coming up as well to discuss and uh, learn more about the whiskey world, the baseball world too. Maybe there's a hint uh, going forward as we get closer to spring training. We're going to be talking about Bourbon 101 here at some point as well. Uh, and maybe the World Baseball Classic, which we just kind of hinted at and teased at as well. Michael, any last words for our friends, family, viewers, uh, listeners uh, from this episode? Nothing from me, Brandon. Nothing from Michael. Normally there is never anything from Michael. So that's it. That's it. (laughs) Another episode of Barrels and Barrels. We're going to call it episode 15 uh, is in the books. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day and be safe out there, guys. And girls, let's go.